Welcome to the Church at Lake Mead, and this is our sermon podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, we want to say thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you again soon. Here is today's message. As I was thinking about this series, uh, I was thinking about just how mainstream the end of the world is. It's not just something that, that church people talk about, right? This is something everywhere, right? Everyone talks about the end of the world. Um, the song that we just kind of played coming out, I think that came out when I was in grade school. And so I heard that all growing up. And, um, uh, and then, you know, all the movies, how many times did the world end at your local box office, right? How many times did the world get destroyed? How many times did you see movies where it was the apocalypse, right? Think about this Armageddon, right? You gotta love this. Even like the name comes from the Bible, right? Um, we have two extinction level events happening, right? Like months apart, deep impact, followed by Armageddon, right? Where the world is gonna end by a comet or, or an asteroid or something and we need some oil. Didn't, wasn't that great? We need some oil driller guys to go up there and, and launch a nuke. I mean, that's just perfect stuff, right? And then um, the, toast, the, the coast is toast with the volcano movie and Dante's Peak. Do you guys remember that? That was in the late 90s, right? Um, I remember growing up watching those movies. In fact, one of my students had two twin sisters who were in, um, I think, the volcano movie. It was like, that was their claim. To fit. They had this, like, this scene where they were both in there. I was like, wow, you're in that. Then the aliens destroyed the earth a few times, right? Do you remember Independence Day, right? The War of the Worlds, and I'm, I know I'm missing a whole bunch, but you, that's a sampling, right? Um, and then around 2012, we realized the Mayans knew it all along, right? Like the world is gonna end. They, their calendar like didn't have anything beyond 2012. And so they probably have the key to the apocalypse. Like they know when it's gonna happen. And then of course, Hollywood got some mileage out of that, right? We have the movie 2012, right? And then somehow a global warming turns into global cooling. And I don't know exactly how it happens, but the world ends that way too, right? With the day after tomorrow. Um, but if you grew up going to church, uh, not only did you have all the pop culture apocalypse happening, right? But we had our own special variety of, of like scary stuff. How many of you guys went to church? I went to, let's say youth groups in the 90s, 2000s, right? Some of you guys did that, right? Um, how many of you guys remember this little jingle by DC Talk 2000? How many of you guys remember this song? Life was filled Just with listen to these lyrics. It's good stuff. All of us got trampled on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. The children died, the days grew cold. A piece of bread. Goodbye. You guys know the song? Can you sing it? I wish we'd all be ready. Yes. Here it goes. Yeah, yeah, you guys know that, yeah. Yeah, thank you very much. You're gonna be hearing that in your mind the rest of today, right? That's just one of those earworm songs, right? And when you're like, you know, 15 and you're hearing songs like that, you're just like, I don't think I'm ever gonna get married, right? Like the rapture will happen 
I will be hopefully not left behind, but taken. And here's the point, right? Like I might, why go, why go to high school or why do go to college? I, I didn't have much choice about high school, but why go to college, right? Why plan your future? Because the world is ending. So you have like all of this happening to you uh, in pop culture and in church culture. Um, I remember seeing these as a really little kid, but my parents in their generation, they, um, one of the big authors then was Hal Lindsey's book, uh, Late Great Planet Earth. Maybe some of you remember that if you've been in church a long time, here's a picture. And there were movies based on this. In my generation, right, we had a little um, kind of upgraded version with the Left Behind series. How many of you guys read the Left Behind series? Yeah, a lot of you, right? I read them right? 40 million copies sold or some crazy number like that. It's just a, a huge, just phenomenon. And then all the movies based on the books, right? Even Nicolas Cage plays in uh, uh, one of the versions of, of Left Behind, right? So this is big market. This is big stuff. This is all over the place. And that's all through the, you know, the late 90s, 2000s, right? In 2010, a man named Harold Camping, he um, got a lot of notoriety. He was a part of a, a network of radio stations, family radio network. And, and he started make, he made a, a very clear prediction. And you had billboards like this going up all over the country. May 21st, 2011, cry moderately to God. The Bible guarantees it, right? Here's another billboard. Judgment Day's happening, right? Family radio, tune in. You had guys on the streets and they're just saying, hey, you know, you better get ready, right? I like this one. She's a little more subtle. Just, hey, it's to save the date, you know? Um, Jesus is returning, just, just mark it down, right? Well, of course that date came and went, right? Then you had billboards like this one popping up. Well, like, that was awkward, right? <laughs> like, okay. And then you had people like retracting it. Like, okay, <laughs> I guess it didn't happen. <laughs> uh, and then a reminder that no one knows the day or the hour. <laughs> Man, you know, if you've lived through the last 30 years, um, it's been a fever pitch, right? And, and since this, right, we've had things like global pandemics and you've had a recession that potentially is on the horizon and people, wars and rumors of wars. And, and I'm not trying to make light of this. I'm just trying to be an observer. Like this is the road we've been on as a culture, right? That the end of the world is something that Christians and non-Christians think about. Um, if you took environmental science in college, right, you had a whole scientific explanation why it looked like we can't sustain this much longer, right? So even if you weren't a believer, you, you know, the apocalypse seems to be on the edge. Nuclear warfare uh, after World War II, being able to develop nuclear weapons and the arms race and the Cold War and all the things, of course, in, not in the late 1940s, when Israel became a nation, for many who study the Bible, that was like the beginning of the clock, the, the, the countdown, right? Or maybe the, the clock starts when Jerusalem is under Israeli control in 1967. And so you have all of these events happening, whether it's the modernization of the computer that seems to uh, maybe make what some interpreted revelation to, to mean possible, right? With a worldwide system and, and all the rest. And so whether you're reading the, the Left Behind series or you're reading or listening to other teachers or prophets or whatever, it can get really, 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 um, I guess, anxiety inducing. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah, that's, that's how it is. Today we have YouTube videos and, and, and really you can see all kinds of views out there. And so I wanna just say this, um, on the outset of this series. 
I want us to slow down for just a second. I want us to catch our breath. We have been hitting one thing after another thing as a culture. Um, we've been primed, right, by probably all these movies and books to, to expect the end of the world. We're looking at things in world politics and we're expecting that. Do you realize that every single US president since Kennedy has been thought to be the Antichrist, right? It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican, somebody somewhere says, oh, we figured it out. He's the Antichrist, right? Like, and that's just where we live. And I just wanna call a timeout for just a second. I wanna say this, apocalypticism is easily weaponized. Fear is something that can really push people in a direction. And I'm not trying to accuse anybody of anything. I'm, I'm only making an observation that this has been a wild ride ever since I've been in high school. And I wanna say, I want us to just in this series, I wanna look at what does the Bible say about the return of Jesus? And let me just say this, there's a lot of shiny objects that can grab our attention, that can pull us off of the main thing. And we can end up uh, kind of just going on a lot of rabbit trails and missing the main point. And I wanna talk about the main point this morning. I think some of us have let, our imaginations run wild, again, help with, from Hollywood and other places. And if, if I were to say, what does my view of the end times look like? It kind of looks like this picture of this garage. Let me show you this picture of a garage, right? How many of you guys have that kind of garage at home? Don't raise your hand, right? Maybe you, you picked up the Amazon del, uh, returns, right? And you're convinced you can sell it for twice uh, what you paid for it, like on Marketplace or Craigslist or someplace, right? I've been to some garages like this. Now, let me say something. There might be some valuable things in that garage. I'm not saying there isn't. But let's not forget the purpose of the garage is to put your car in it, right? And when you have too many things in your garage, it no longer can do the very thing it was supposed to do. And I think sometimes that's biblical prophecy. It is a, it is a, a, a world full of shiny objects and theories and potentialities, some of which may be valuable. I'm not here to discredit some of that stuff, right? Um, but we can't forget the purpose of biblical prophecy. And it's not, ooh, here it is, to tell you the future. This is gonna to start to like crash some of your paradigms right here. In fact, I, I wanna put this really clearly this morning. I want us to be informed. Biblical prophecy, this is our big idea this morning. Biblical prophecy is primarily to confront or comfort, not to foretell the future. It's primarily to confront the wicked, to comfort the faithful, to encourage faithfulness, right? not to give you a detailed blueprint of the future events. The very fact, there are so many people that have been so wrong about the return of Jesus and the events of the future should give us a clue that either the Bible is just not a good, not good at communicating truth to us, right? Or maybe we're trying to figure things out that really aren't really designed to be figured out in that way, right? We're taking, here's the big thing, we're taking a 21st century modern Western viewpoint and trying to lay that onto a first century text that was designed to confront the wicked, comfort the faithful, to remind us that God is in control of future events. And one day the king will return in power. That's the car in the garage. Can I get an amen to that? That's what we need to be agreeing on, right? 
let me say, I've been, I've been nervous about this series because I know there are a lot of folks out there that have done lots of research and have lots of theories about the end times. And I know I'll disappoint some of you that I'm not gonna go down some of those roads, right? I'm just not gonna do that because I don't believe that's my role as a pastor. Let me, let me just be really honest. I am not a prophet. I'm a pastor. And, and I don't have some of the prophetic gifts others do. I've been called to give well-researched sermons based on what the Bible clearly teaches about the end times. There could be more, right? But I'm not interested in some of those ancillary details. I'm interested in giving you the main themes of scripture that I think we all can agree on and start there. Now, if you have other ideas and you have views of the rapture and when it's gonna happen and all these things, and we can disagree about that and that is fine, but I want us to be as a church united because I know there's one person that wants to split this church up and other churches up. And he didn't die on the cross for you. He's got a forked tongue and he's been sowing discord in God's people since the beginning of time. And this issue of the end times can just do just that. We can be divided when we need to be united more than ever because there is an end that's coming and Jesus is returning. And we're gonna be talking about that in this series. You guys good with that? All right. So that's the preliminary. I, I told Mike, I go, I think today's sermon is a lot of be cleaning the garage out so we can get the car back in. Uh, so I wanna start with this question. Are we living in the end times? That's a fair question, right? Are we living in the end times? You know, if you're asking that question, you're in good company. People have been asking that question for 2000 years. I remember there's this text in, in Luke chapter 19. Jesus is in Jericho and he's just traveled through that, that, that city. In Jericho, I was just in Jericho. I love that I was just in the Holy Land a couple of weeks ago because all this is like so fresh in my mind. And Jericho is 17 miles down into the Judean desert from where Jerusalem is. And Jesus is about to ascend to Jerusalem. And his disciples are excited because they believe this is his great entrance to become king. And Jesus knows that his disciples think this. And notice this in, in Luke chapter 19. As they heard these things, he proceeded, talking of Jesus, to tell them a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Jesus starts to tell them a parable of a king who has some, some servants and he gathers his servants together because the king is about to leave. And he's gonna give each servant some money and he's gonna see if they're gonna be faithful in his absence. So called the parable of the 10 minas. And so each, each servant is given a, 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 a portion of money as this, the king is, is gonna leave to see what are they gonna do? And when the king returns in the parable, there's an evaluation of each servant's faithfulness. And this is to teach his disciples that there would be a period of absence when Jesus would leave and then return to see our faithfulness. Well, you know, last week was Easter Sunday and we celebrated Holy Week. We celebrated the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. We celebrated everything that happened. And then as you guys know well, because you were in these services, the disciples didn't see the cross coming. They didn't realize that Jesus had come to Jerusalem not to become king uh, as they imagined, but instead to die on the cross. And so as you can imagine, just how that just, just crashed their paradigms after Jesus rises from the dead, he gathers his disciples together. And then they ask this question, which is again, natural to ask. This is in Acts chapter one. 
So when he, they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So now that you have died on the cross, we didn't see that coming. That was like a, a curveball, right? We didn't know that was happening. And now we didn't realize you were gonna rise from the dead. So now we have a resurrection, like this is amazing. We, we thought the resurrection was gonna happen at the end of history. And now it happens here. So it's, is, it, is it now, Jesus? Are you going to establish your kingdom now? Obviously, maybe that was what the parable is about. Like you're gonna leave and now you're already back. Like it was not that long of a time you'd, you'd be gone, only three days. And so Jesus, he says, no, it's not at this time. In fact, in Luke 24, we get some of the last words of Jesus. This is the resurrected Jesus right before he ascends to his father. Look what he says in Luke 24. He says, you are witnesses of these things, of his death, his burial, his resurrection. You are witnesses of these things, he says. Behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. So Jesus is saying, listen, I know you want the kingdom to start right now, but that's not the plan. The plan is for you to stay in the city. You are gonna be clothed with power. We're gonna talk about that. And when you're clothed with this power from on high, you're gonna be my witnesses. You're gonna take the message of my defeat of death to the ends of the world. That's gonna be what you're gonna do. This is the delay uh, that I, I was talking about. Remember last week, if you were paying attention, Thomas, remember Thomas, he had that question because Jesus talked about going away and Thomas is frustrated and he's exasperated and he says, Jesus, where are you going, right? How can we know the way? And Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm going to leave, but I'm preparing a place. I'm coming back, right? The return of the King. And so about 10 days go by, Jesus ascends to heaven and about 10 days go by. And I wanna pick up the, the story in Acts chapter two. As you probably know, some of you who've been in church, you realize that this is Pentecost Sunday. This is when the, the power from on high descends. So you have Christ ascending and you have the Holy Spirit descending. This is really key for what we're, we're studying today. So in Acts chapter two, um, what's happened is the disciples have been filled with the Holy Spirit They've poured into the streets of Jerusalem and they've been preaching about Jesus's resurrection to the entire nation, to everybody that's gathered in Jerusalem. People are so confused because they're hearing everyone speak in their own language, right? So it doesn't matter where you're from, these Galileans are now speaking in every language there. And these people are like, how do they know my mother tongue? How are they able to speak in this language? What is going on? And to some, it sounded like gibberish because they didn't know that language. And so people are confused. And so Peter stands up and he says this. Peter stood up with the 11. He raised his voice. He addresses the crowd, fellow Jews and all who, are, who live here in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. I always think that's so funny he says that. It's only nine, come on. <laughs> it was five o'clock, maybe. Okay, <laughs> just kidding. Now, no, what is, what, this is what's spoken by the prophet Joel. Notice what he does. He says, these guys are not drunk. This is actually something huge that's happening. In the last days, God says, 
I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, right? Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Again, this might be some more paradigm shifting for you. What Peter is clearly saying here is that this Pentecost moment when the Holy Spirit was poured out, or as as Jesus called it, being clothed with power from on high, that is the mark of the beginning of the end times, right? In fact, you could even go back a little further to when Jesus was baptized and the Spirit was poured out onto Jesus. In Luke chapter four, it talks about Jesus being anointed with the power. He's quoting the prophet Isaiah, anointed with the spirit to proclaim liberty to the captives. All of that language for the Jewish mind is language of what would happen in the end times, that God's spirit would be poured out onto all flesh, that God's spirit would be poured out onto people and we would see a flood of God's spirit in the earth. And so here's the quick answer to the question. Are we living in the end times? Yes, absolutely, without question, we're living in the end times. And we've been living in the end times for about 2,000 years. I'm not, I'm being serious, that's true. Again, this is some kind of like paradigm shifting for some of you, right? Uh, because a lot of times we were, talk, we were taught to think that the end times would be this like period of seven years of tribulation and all the rest. Guys, I'm not trying to discount some of this and honest Christians can disagree on how the details are worked out. Everyone should agree with what I'm talking about right here. The end times began when the Holy Spirit was poured out on Jesus and poured out onto the church. That is a point of unification that all Christians should agree on. That's when the, if you wanna use the fancy language, the eschatological age of the Spirit started when the Spirit was poured out on the church. Yeah, there's some fancy language there, okay? All right, so when did the end time start? There's a quiz at the end of the series, okay? Answer to the first question. The end, of the, the end time started when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And if you study the prophets, and, and, and some of you guys wanna take a deeper dive, and I was telling Mike this just before this series, I was like, you know, I am only able to do some of the broad strokes for, for, for the end times. If we really wanna get into the details, we're gonna need a college class, right? Or maybe Lakeview U will we'll just do a series of, you know, and we can do Q&A and all the rest. And maybe we'll do that in the fall. But I just wanna give you the broad strokes today and in this series. So the end times, let's look at some other texts in the New Testament. Look at how the writer of Hebrews starts his letter. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But look at this. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Here's what Peter says. He uses the term last times, but it's close. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest or revealed in the last times. For the sake of you who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. There's passages in first and second Timothy that say the same thing. The consensus of the New Testament is we are living in the end times. We're a part of these last days and we are struggling as the spirit is being poured out and we're fighting the forces of evil. All right, so let me get to question two. 
for living in the end times. Brad, when is the end of the end times going to be, right? All right, so we've been living in these end times for 2,000 years. When is the end of the end going to happen, right? And I want to start answering that question now. And we're going to finish it next week. But we're going to look specifically at Jesus. Because Jesus, in one of the last big sermons that he preaches, he talks about this very issue. This is uh, recorded for us in three places. We have uh, Luke 21. We have Matthew 24. We have Mark 13. We're going to look at Matthew 24. Essentially, all three of these gospels are recording in different ways the same sermon of Jesus. It's at the last week of his life. And we're gonna look at Matthew 24 and we're gonna teach through that. Again, we're gonna get through part of it today. And then we're gonna, you know, hit pause and, and catch the rest next week. And then we're gonna get in the book of Revelation too. So we got a lot going on. Let's look at Matthew 24, verse one. Jesus left the temple, was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. In Mark, it talks about how they're just amazed by the building. They, it just says, man, look at these beautiful buildings. Look at these beautiful structures. In fact, the temple was so grand. Josephus, who was a historian at that time, he said that if you walked in to the city of Jerusalem, if you rode into the city and the sun was shining, there, were gold, there was gold plating on the edges of the temple. And it was so bright, it looked like the temple was glowing. Not only that, the temple was so tall, the very highest part of the temple had white exposed limestone that from a distance looked like a mountain with snow on it. So this is a, I mean, there's a giant mountain called Mount Moriah with a big platform. And then this temple built on top of Mount Moriah, it is just this incredible sight. And when I was there a couple of weeks ago, I saw the basement of the Temple Mount, right? They, 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 we went on this tunnel and you could go along where the giant blocks that were carved out of limestone that Herod had, had constructed there were still visible. And when you went along this tunnel, I mean, some of these, some of these blocks are 40 feet long and 10 feet tall and probably like 10 feet wide. These are giant, enormous you know, foundation stones to, to retain the, the, the temple mount. And so I can't imagine if that's just the retaining wall, what the temple looked like. It's just incredible work of, of architecture and engineering. And so these disciples are just amazed by this. And so Jesus, then he turns to them in verse two, and he says something that is shocking. He says, you see all these, do you not? Pointing to the beautiful buildings. I say, to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. This is a remarkable statement. Again, if you've seen just even drawings of this temple, this is a huge building. And Jesus is saying, not one of these stones are gonna be left on top. They're gonna be thrown down. So let me show you this next picture. This is crazy. Um, if you go to the bottom of the Temple Mount today, Put this on the big screen if you can. These are the stones that were thrown from the top and down onto the pavement below. This is a vivid example of Jesus's prophecy coming true where the stones of the temple were thrown off of that mountain down below. In fact, if you can look closely, this is a paved like with uh, limestone. This is a paved road. This is the way they would pave. They put these big giant like flat blocks together, and it's all been smashed by the force of those rocks 
flying down that hundred feet into the ground. I was told there's this giant arch that connected the one side of the city into the Temple Mount. It was the biggest arch in the entire Roman Empire. And they, de they destroyed that arch and the force of that just destroyed that lower city or that lower paved road. And so Jesus says these things as he's walking through. They, they leave that area and they walk about 15 minutes to the Mount of Olives, which is just around the corner. And the disciples are, have been thinking about what Jesus said. Notice this, <clears throat> hit that next verse for me. He sat down on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will be. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so Jesus has just described something that if you're a first century Jew, there's no way you don't connect this destruction of the temple with the end of the world. You absolutely make that connection. If Jesus just said the temple will one day be destroyed and there won't be one stone on top of another, you immediately connect, well, that has to be the end of the world or the end of the age. I wanna be careful with my language because the Jews didn't think in terms of time and space like you and I do. Like they didn't have a, a vision of like the earth as a globe hanging in outer space and the end of that, right? They didn't have that. So that's a different topic for a different day. But when is the end of this age gonna happen? In fact, the language here is this. Um, go back to that verse for me real quick. What is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? This idea, when is the sign of your coming? When are, here's what they mean. When are you gonna be revealed as the king? All right, right at this point, Jesus is just the rabbi. They think he's the Messiah, but not all Israel does. And so they're saying, okay, you just said the temple's gonna be destroyed. Then for us, that must mean that's gonna be when you establish your kingdom. Jesus, when is the end of this age gonna happen? And by turn, when is the beginning of the new age gonna start? When is the beginning of the messianic age gonna happen? When are you gonna start your kingdom? That's what they're asking here. They're not asking when is the world gonna you know, burn up or something like that. That's not how they think. When is the end of this current age of oppression by Rome, of, of them just, kind of get their, their foot on our necks. When is that gonna end? And when is your kingdom gonna start? And Jesus says these words in response to that question. Jesus says, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I'm Christ, I'm the Messiah. That's what that word means. I'm the one to save you. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and of rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. Remember what I told you the primary purpose of prophecy is? It's to comfort the faithful and to confront the wicked. Jesus is trying to comfort his faithful. He's trying to say, look, don't be alarmed. I'm, the, the return of the king will happen, but there will be a lot that goes on until I return. Do not be alarmed. I'm comforting the faithful. He says this, he says, <clears throat> For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these, notice this, are but the beginning of the birth pain. What Jesus is saying is that there's gonna be this launch of an attack 
that will threaten his faithful, that his faithful need to be, need to be tough during this time. Remember when I talked about the parable of the mind that the king leaves, right? Well, if you remember the parable of the mind when the king leaves and he's given each servant some, some money, it's not easy for them. The, 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 the citizens of the country hate the king and they're, and they're thinking the king's a bad guy and you're one of the faithful servants that represent him. It's, it's tough to be one of the faithful servants of the king who's absent when the, when the, when the citizens don't like the guy, right? And Jesus is telling his disciples this. He's giving them this ahead of time so they know about it. And he says, he says that um, they're gonna deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, there's been lots of ways to interpret some of this. I'm gonna to try to give you at least some ground we should all agree on. Jesus's prophecy, and this is really important, is not meant to scare you. It's meant to encourage you. Because guess what he is saying? We win. Come on. The gospel... The gospel's gonna go everywhere. Yeah, they're gonna deliver you up and some of you will die. They hated me, they hate you. Didn't Jesus say that in the book of John, right? They persecuted me, they're gonna persecute you. If they done this when the tree is green, imagine what happens when the tree is dry. You guys, some of you who are Bible students know these prophecies I'm talking about, these, these comments of Jesus. But what he is saying is, listen, we win. The gospel will go to the entire world and the enemy will not be able to stop it. And if they kill you, big deal, I've defeated death, right? That's what he's saying. In fact, I wanna, we're gonna stop because I gotta finish this next week because I only got so much time. I wanna go back to where we started in the book of Acts. Remember Jesus is gathered with his disciples. He's resurrected and they're like, is it now? Are you now gonna start your kingdom? Are you gonna restore Israel at this time? That was in verse six. Look what he says in verse seven. It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You're gonna win because you're gonna be clothed with power. Listen, I grew up, as I told you, in an anxiety-inducing, and I wanted to say this, a fear-inducing time in the church when it came to the end times. And I'm here to tell you, if your view of the end times doesn't fill you with boldness, but instead fills you with fear, you got the wrong view of the end times. Can I get an amen to that? The end times is not here to scare you, not for you to build some bunker and do some survival thing in the woods. Listen, that is not our call, church. Our call is to boldly testify to the risen Jesus. He is King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. You are not gonna scare me with whoever the Antichrist might be, because let me tell you something, greater is he that is in me than is he that is in this world. And I will be more than conqueror through him who loved me. Can I get an amen to that, church? We are gonna snatch the end times 
fear away from the enemy and we're gonna put it back in the garage where it belongs. We're gonna say, listen, this is my hope I'm holding on to. My God is faithful. Jesus was raised from the dead and the power of the resurrection, the power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. And if I die for my faith, it's okay because the one who died for me will return for me and raise me from the dead. And guys, let me tell you something. We're not getting out of here alive anyway. Can I get an amen to that? Right? So you might as well be faithful to the one who is faithful because that king will return. And he, when he returns, he's separating the sheep from the goats. And if right now you're a goat, let me explain that. If right now you're not in on his side, then today's the day to bow your knee to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords to confess, maybe in baptism, like the guys that are doing that in the next service, who you belong to. Because now's the time to switch allegiances because when he returns, it will be too late. Can I get an amen to that? Boy, that's a powerful way to end today. But that's, that's, that's the return of the king. And that's where I'm at on this. And there might be other stuff that you wanna talk about. We can have chats, but we're focusing on that. Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to embrace the hope of the gospel. As Americans, we have been so blessed with relative peace and safety.